We at RAW, we are a small-scale institution, uh, for instance, and everything that we do, we do it with very limited funding. Uh, and we keep on searching for funding to be able to continue. Like It's like what is clear for us is, okay, we can work until next year or maybe the year after, but after that, what happened? So like two years prior or a year prior, you keep on thinking about, okay, what am I, am I going to do this? How am I going to do this in 2023? But so the program is here. We know exactly in terms of program what we would like to do, but it's uncertain because we don't know if we will have the funds to do so. And uh, that is mainly because uh, all of our institutions uh, usually struggle to find the support that they need from their own context. So if I take the example of Raw Mature Company, for instance, we don't have support from uh, the public institutions in Senegal, even though we are located there and we are doing what we're doing and we are really contributing to, uh, to, to the discourse. Uh, and also to the ecosystem and, and not just contributing, but contributing to building the ecosystem as well. What tends to happen then is that uh, all these institutions, so Ro again being an example, uh, will receive support from uh, foreign institutions, so institutions that are not from Senegal or I mean, actually that might not even be from Africa. And uh, that's the only way we can uh, we can survive. But that also brings some other type of problematics, right? If we think about uh, the political history of uh, all of our countries, if we think about uh, colonial dynamics and the colonial history, if we think about decolonial uh, dynamics and thinking, etc. So we are always like in this type of dichotomy, where uh, up until today, everything that we do depends from the goodwill of a European institution or an American one, etc. But that's the, that's what it is today. And uh, for us, uh, one way of uh, facing that and resisting to that is that we won't necessarily accept funding from everywhere. Uh, and we make sure that the funding uh, relationship that we develop with an institution is not only about the finances, but it's really a collaboration, it's an exchange and uh, it's a conversation as well, which is very important. Hola, my name is Marie-Hélène Pereira. I'm a director of program at Raw Mature Company in Dakar, Senegal. Hola, my name is Fatima Bintoura Sulsi, and I'm curator of program at Raw Mature Company. Based in Dakar, Senegal, Raw Material Company is an independent collaborative center that aims to foster critical thinking through artistic practice. The project was founded in 2008 at the initiative of curator Koyo Kowo with a socially committed pan-African translocal vision and program that revolves around the research, promotion and dissemination of contemporary culture in and from Africa. From the perspective of the raw material company, curatorial practice is an expanded exercise in knowledge production that goes beyond exhibitions. It encompasses artistic education and public programs, as well as residencies, a library, an archive, publications, and even podcasts. All these tools are used to weave networks and communities that implement critical thought. From a perspective of collectivity and care, 
in which fragility and vulnerability are understood as a crack and a source of power to generate change. In this conversation, Marie-Hélène Pereira and Fatima Bintu Rasulsi, two key members of Raw Material Company, discuss a situated feminist and decolonial practice that focuses on doing rather than enunciating and categorizing. They share some other experiences and talk about the strategies they use to create rich forms of dialogue and to negotiate the tensions and the ideological and economic constraints imposed through the still colonial structures of the so-called Global North. Actions that can be as small as opening up a space in which to be together, to unlearn and rethink the emancipatory possibilities that art can offer society. Uh, Rose Vocation, let's say, is uh, a center for art, knowledge and society. So really thinking about artistic practice, but in relation with knowledge production and circulation, in relation with uh, how to shape a society together and what is the role of the art practitioners in that. One thing that is very important to point out is that uh, for us, our curatorial practice is uh, expanded. So it's not only about uh, being in conversation with one artist about his work, about the aesthetics and putting it in a space for exhibition. That's important, but not, that's not the only important thing that we would like to do. Even in those uh, exhibitions that we've been working on, the moment where the exhibition happens is so far away from when the conversation actually happened with the, with the artist. And uh, those conversations with the artist, the exchange, etc., they take time and they actually take the time that it needs to take. We, we shouldn't be doing it in a rush. We don't want to be doing it in a rush. And we want to make sure that we've built a relationship with the artist first. And by building that relationship, we get to a point where we would like to maybe show some part of what he, he or she is doing and then continue the conversation somehow. For the, for the residencies, for, for instance, what we think about a lot is how the exhibition that happens during the residency, because it's not all the residencies uh, that have exhibition an exhibition part, but for those who have, those, we don't want necessarily the exhibition to be at the end of the residency because we don't see it as a final point, the exhibition. So we, we really want it to happen at some point in the residency. It's not always uh, easy to do it because of time and because of calendar, etc., etc. but it's always something that we think about and we talk about that with the artist. Exhibition format in a space is one, but the publication for us is a space. Uh, the library is a space. The podcast is a space. Uh, you have like so many other spaces that we, we are really always engaging with, uh, just so you really think about different ways of, uh, of doing this, of having these conversations. Everybody who, who came to Raw or whom we met while doing a program or a project elsewhere has been in close contact with us up until today. 
I think that's the most exciting part of it, actually. So the way in which through a specific program, through a specific project, we build a relationship and uh, we care. So the notion of care is important. Uh, and when you come to the space of role in a program, you see that, okay, everybody is coming. It's a family. People are around. People are contributing. Uh, when we have the role Academy, which is the study program, for instance, the fellows are at home. Even a part of the conversation, the sessions, etc., we always have lunch together, all of us. Like the, the lunch program is part of the academy program. So it's important that whoever comes is comfortable in the space. Rose started as a project in uh, 2008. It was a project uh, by an independent curator whose name is Koyokuo. Koyo was, uh, she, she was based in Dhaka since the early 90s and she's been living there up until today. And when she was doing her independent practice back then, at some point, she felt the need to continue her practice, but in a more grounded way because uh, she was doing projects and programs in different places, be it in Senegal, be it on the African continent be it out of the African continent. Before 2011, she really felt the need to be somewhere, to be in a physical space and to continue working from there. That's why she decided to open a space in Dakar, and that was 2011. And in the space, uh, there was the possibility to continue working with a great dedication on uh, artistic practice and curatorial practice but with different formats. So having a residency space was important. Having a gallery space for, to exhibit artistic uh, production was important. And also having a library was very important like as a resource center. Of course, there was a lot happening already in Dakar uh, back in 2011, because Dakar has a very rich artistic history uh, and it's mainly because the first president of Senegal was a poet and writer. His name was Leopold Sedar Senghor. And when Leopold Sedar Senghor became president in 1960, for him it was important to create good conditions for artistic production and also for the recognition of uh, the importance of art and culture in a society, in a country. So he created a lot of infrastructures in order to support all that. And those infrastructures really made the city of Dakar a destination uh, when thinking about contemporary art, uh, but in a broad sense of it. So for Koyo, uh, knowing that rich history of uh, artistic practice and production in Senegal, it was important to contribute to that, but uh, to contribute to it in a in a way that is that wasn't thought about before in the context. So creating the center uh, was for her a way of uh, putting a discourse, uh, a critical discourse around all this production that was happening in Senegal, but on the continent uh, at large. Uh, I think one of the main challenges uh, for us being, be it in Africa, being in Latin America and all the places that are called Global South 
is mobility. And uh, for one of the examples that we always give is that it's easier for, for someone in Senegal to go to France than it is to go to another African country, like way easier. And I mean, let's not talk about uh, visa and stuff. That's another issue. But just in terms of fund, in terms of what you need to be able to go, uh, the flight tickets are crazy expensive uh, between one destination and another on the African continent. And also, you know, colonization was done in a very crazy way uh, that created more distance between geographies, more barriers, especially language barriers. But uh, what we tend to see uh, more and more is that we can converse, converse by emotions, you know, by specific interest in history, etc., etc. For instance, uh, when you look at disciplines like music and all those, so those conversations can happen, but it's not based on the word, no, it's based on creativity, it's based on uh, the emotions, the way in which whatever it is that is uh, played or, or, or portrayed in the, in the music kind of uh, gets you uh, and gets your emotions somehow, and that's, that's very powerful and that you feel it a lot when you when you have the opportunity to travel and to go to those places generally uh, when we have this type of uh, initiatives big art centers uh, um, art initiatives in general we inscribe ourselves into a kind of uh, machine you know like we always think we have to produce we have to produce we have to produce but we really never take time to process what it is that we're producing. We don't take time to, to, to digest what we are taking in. And uh, for us, for the, like we started the first years uh, from 2011 to 2015, being only three of us in the team. So that was already one challenge. And also we quickly realized that uh, what we were doing, as much important as it is, was also more and more being inscribed in the general way of uh, running an art center. Exhibition, residencies, talks. Exhibition, residencies, talks. And uh, one of the main uh, goals that we have is that uh, row is a response to the needs of the context as well. It should be and it should continue to be. So we are always in observation of our context, what is needed, what should be improved, etc. And that help us also be able to adapt our programs to that, those needs. And even though it's a small scale, uh, it's important that we, we do that as a statement. Of course, we can't like have solutions for everything, but there are things that are very important for us and like we, we really move having them in mind. Uh, for instance, education was very important since the very beginning of Raw. So everything that we did in the first five years has a very strong educational component. But uh, we also realized that maybe we need to focus on this. Uh, maybe we need to, to really give more attention to, to, to education. And then uh, we started thinking at how to reshape the program. And to be able to do that, we couldn't stay in the machine, in the production machine. We had to be able to stop. Uh, we had to be able to think with a clear mind that is not in a rush. So we took a sabbatical of a year, uh, which was very bold because uh, that was, I think, the first time that we saw it, I mean, at least on the continent. 
but uh, it was a strong decision to be taken. And knowing that it was small scale, it only started five years ago, etc. So there was also a challenge that came with the fact to decide that, okay, we're going to stop, we're going to take a sabbatical. And then this is, we know that this is what we want to do. We're going to plan the way in which it's going to happen and we're going to plan the way in which we're going to reopen. I think that's the best decision we, we took uh, during the whole life of Ro. And it really helped us a lot into, you know, knowing where to put our efforts into, uh, how to manage our energy, how to manage our resources, be them uh, human resources, uh, financial resources being uh, based on content. And uh, that gave birth to the study program, Ro Academy. Let's say in the last five years, five or six years, there's been like a crazy like kind of boom in the use of decolonial, postcolonial, anti-colonial, and etc. Uh, and we also became very aware of that when it started, and we started to develop new terminology uh, in order just not to inscribe ourselves into this trend, uh, because the thing is. Uh, what we tend to see is that every time you have a text that says decolonial la la la, and it's it's given attention to, and it might not necessarily be as relevant as you would think it is, no, but it's it it's just what it is, and we try to really distance ourselves from that. And the decolonial gesture for us, it's it's a real gesture, you know, it's in the program, it's in the content we develop, it's in the relationship we develop. It's in the conversations we have, etc. So it's not in the world, but it's really in what is the essence of, of Roe and what is it that Roe is doing, etc., etc. Uh, for instance, one uh, thing that we should always be mentioning is that uh, it's been a decision uh, to have a team that is all women. Uh, instead of always saying feminist this and feminist that, et cetera. Like, I mean, it has to be in the fact. So we were like, okay, we want an all-woman team. We started with by being only three women. Like, at the beginning, it wasn't really a decision. It just happened like that. But it became a decision and a statement today that whoever is entering the team of role for us, I mean, will be a woman. Hmm? And, like, it's not... Uh, something that we would like to be giving, you know, meaning to and putting mm -hmm. terms on it, etc. It's just like it's being done. And uh, it's being done because we tend to see that in the global artistic fair, the real uh, positions of decision are men-dominated. And it's important that in what we do, we, we respond to that. But uh, in the fact, I think it calls the subject of translation which is that, uh, and I'm not talking about just translation from one language to another, but, you know, really translating a language, uh, translating a, a, a meaning, translating a content, etc., etc., in a way that allows for uh, a balanced uh, level of understanding when we talk to our context. And uh, that's important because otherwise, like, you have the impression that you are doing something, but really you are not because you are in your own bubble using, like, all these crazy, crazy, crazy terms that come from everywhere. And you're not really talking to the one who you should be talking to. So, yeah, translation is, is then very important in this sense. 
think there's a there's a strong difference between words and meanings, and it's 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 important to to you know put more emphasis on the meanings. What is it that we're talking about, and who are we talking to? Very meaningful conversations happen out of our context. It's a pity because uh, there are some conversations that you would like to happen in your own context. Uh, but I always think that uh, no matter what, even if those conversations happen elsewhere, it's important that you find a way of bringing them back in your own context. And I know that uh, a lot of institutions and individuals have been working hard uh, to be able to achieve that. We have colleagues in South Africa uh, who are Chimurenga, and they work a lot around uh, knowledge and knowledge circulation, and also about this very problematic of some type of knowledge uh, being validated or not by the global uh, understanding of where knowledge should be located or should come from. And they do amazing work into really showing for them what is important, be it in their own context, be it elsewhere, and always finding a way of bringing it back in their context. They are located in Cape Town in South Africa. For them as well, I think the context is not only South Africa, it's the whole African continent. And that very fact of going here and bringing it back, for me, is very important. Uh, and for Ro is very important because we've been uh, working on that a lot as well. So whichever program it is that we do outside, we do it by inviting key people from our context, but to be in conversation with people that we think are key in that context. In uh, raw material, we have um, we have the space, the main space. So with uh, an exhibition gallery, the library, and the residency program. But we did develop the program called Friday at Row that help us um, being in connection and being in conversation with our context. And uh, we developed uh, several conversations with people like Carol Job whom is an architect and uh, working on a program we call Citéology. So this program aims at uh, taking the pulse of uh, what is happening in the city in terms of architecture and urbanism and uh, finding a way to negotiate with our aim of um, or goal of modernity and what how we live really and how we we we, may, we are a society and how we make society together uh, from that point it's an interesting way to create connection with the local community and uh, she invites different kind of uh, architect of course but also people who are very dedicated in some quarters of suburb of Dakar and who are managing to find a way to create uh, this very community in those spaces. And uh, we have also a program called um, Parlons Senegalaiserie. So in English, I'm, I think it would be Let's Speak Senegalese. And Parlons Senegalaiserie help us um, finding what is the actuality in the country and what is happening and what is agitating people, what is their concern about the society, about being a woman in the society, about 
all those different questions that might not have spaces in the public debate will find a spaces at raw material company. So for that, we don't have to invite specifically academics. Of We choose people who got an experience on these specific matters or, or on the specific matter or topic we are engaging with. And then uh, we create um, uh, a conversation around it. And it is interesting for us because to do this program, we work with uh, Ibufal, a journalist and satirist in Dakar. And uh, we also use different kind of tool in order to know what is happening or what is the main subject, the main topic in the kitchen of a house or in families and what they are talking about and what they are, what are their concerns. And for that, social media, for example, are amazing, uh, like Twitter. People use a lot Twitter in Dakar and uh, WhatsApp group as well, Facebook group as well. We have a lot of, you can find a lot of debate in those in the specific group and radio. And Parlons Senegalaiserie is um, among the whole, all the program is a program that really help us being completely connected with uh, what is happening in the city. And uh, we also have um, Vox Artis. And Vox Artis is more like... Um, conversation around artistic practice. It could be, of course, artists, but also creators, researchers, and a different kind of profile. Even the people coming from the residency program uh, during this time of residence did a, do a Vox artist in order to share their practice with the locals and uh, to be to create also link. Sometimes you have people in the audience who are very linked to what this artist is doing or are interested in that. They might not have in the artistic um, scene, I mean, it could be scholars, it could be also uh, people which are community workers. And uh, then we have a new link for this artist and we work with them. And uh, it's those programs are very like how to be able to share our practice, the curatorial practice, of course, artistic practice, etc., but how to make them get into the city and in the community and how we can do this kind of exchange or link between what is happening there and what is happening in the art center. And then we became a family. And uh, last but not least, we have Sao Parlons Senegalaiserie, Vox Artists, Citéologie, and uh, Rose Cine Club. Rose Cine Club, it's, it's a program so around cinema, of course, but it is a program that helps us uh, taking the pulse of uh, cinematography and um, film production in Senegal. We have a very long history in Senegal on practice of cinema uh, with, of course, Gibril Job Mambeti, Ousmane Semen, which are very important figures of uh, Senegalese um, filmography and uh, Rose Cine Club help us finding or sharing the practice of those very new or uh, people who used to 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 make films etc. But who are not really connected to or known by the public. So it is a good way for us to know what is happening and to make research on it and to be aware of what is happening in this specific field in Dakar. Since the beginning of uh, creating Raw, it's been very important to point out that uh, even though the center is located in Dakar, in Senegal, 
Uh, it has a Pan-African uh, mission and vocation. And uh, pointing it out wasn't enough. For us, uh, it was also important to, to know and act uh, in a collaborative way uh, with other institutions that are on the African continent that uh, existed before Roe started and uh, that are also doing amazing job in the country they're located into. So, for instance, one of the programs we developed was a condition report, which is a biennial symposium uh, that is a platform for exchange and uh, reflection around the status of artistic and curatorial uh, practices in Africa. So for the symposium, every two years, we would uh, develop a, a, a proposal of uh, reflection and uh, exchange, etc., and invite practitioners from the continent to come in Dakar for a period of three days. And we have like all this program of exchange and mutual learning that help us all, like Ro, but also all those people who attend to really be more to be closer of uh, the reality of the other practitioners. Because everything we see on the website, everything we see on social media, it's usually wonderful, but it doesn't really tell you about the real, uh, the day-to-day. -day. It doesn't tell you about what is the institution facing uh, from one day to another, what are the challenges, and how are those challenges overcome, uh, so it's very important to be able to have these conversations, like, and it's, those are intimate conversations. Even though the symposium is public, it really offers a, a platform for all these challenges to be put on the table. And we mostly realize that uh, we share more or less the same challenges, and uh, some of us have found some solution, and it's important that we that we learn from from that. So the first symposium we did it in 2012 and it was uh, around building art institutions in Africa so a way for us to understand how different art institutions were born in uh, their specific context how they had the possibility to do that and also how for them it was difficult to be able to start because starting is difficult and uh, also sustaining is dif difficult, especially when we think about finances, for instance. When thinking about uh, the work that we would do with other, uh, other institutions that are not necessarily from the continent, uh, I think it's always important for us to give the example of uh, a network in which we are part of, that is called Arts Collaboratory. Uh, it's a network of 25 institutions uh, that are from uh, Africa, Latin America, Asia, the Middle East, and also two specific institutions that are in the Netherlands. And that network has been uh, existing as a network since 2015. And uh, all of the institutions that are in the network share a lot of uh, value, share a lot of interest when it comes to the practices they do and uh, have been closely working with each other with specific projects or programs in different contexts. Uh, and it makes us think about, you know, this idea of the translocal. We always hear about the Global South, South-South collaborations, etc., etc. But the way in which we see it is that uh, 
for us it's important that we work in solidarity and that solidarity uh, shouldn't just be grounded on the continent like it should be able to have that translocal component level and uh, and that we do it with uh, a lot of those institutions that are part of the network and also other ones that are not necessarily part of the network. While Marie-Hélène was talking uh, regarding how we can adapt or adjust and one, the, the second pause, a kind of pause that we have taken, it was of course during the 2020 years, during the pandemic, and we were in a certain way forced to reconsider the way we were hosting program because hosting the program in the courtyard or in the art center is very important for us. And the relationship we create with the people coming from those program. And at the end of the program, we have this time of conviviality, discussion, and uh, it's very important in how we are running also the program. And it was very, very complicated to us to think beyond this way of uh, being together and working and uh, we we were we we have to adapt or to adjust and this is how the podcast arrived and it's a new program and the podcast was of course at this specific time focused in we call it the morning morning after the crisis so which kind of uh, tomorrow we will get after what happened and Uh, are we going to change our way of doing things, our way of being together, or our way of uh, creating, working, how do an artist produce during the pandemic? So we discuss with people who had questions on that, and we discuss also with people who create kind of uh, solidarity around the specific moment of the pandemic. So there were political activists, there were scholars, there were curators, and it was a really interesting moment for us because we find out that the podcast space was an amazing space to do things. And now we are reloading this podcast so uh, with a new program uh, where we that we called uh, Nos Histoires Par Nous-Mêmes, so our story by ourselves. And it's concerning the women in the society. So uh, which kind of life do they have? How the, is it to be a woman in Senegal in 2021? And uh, which kind of violence and uh, silence violence we are facing? And the podcast, the podcast space for us was amazing because it can create um, intimacy in those very conversation and we will invite psychologists and social activists and feminists of course a lot of people who are concerned and who are doing an amazing but also jurists who are doing an, an amazing job around this topic and the second action we have taken it was uh, this year uh, in march uh, there was in senegal a riot a massive riot around a MERS affair but which engage also how our political uh, our government is uh, playing with justice and the court in order to put aside his uh, opponent political opponent so there was a huge amalgam between the very MERS case and this situation, the political situation of the country. And then the pan there was the pandemic, people were suffering a lot, no job, no work. So I think it was a, a mixture of a lot of things. And then Dakar just, it was a big boom. And it was, of course, very, very challenging for us at Roe 
to see how to face this situation and how also we can be able to talk about it, but not being in the just in the event, you know. So we took the time to do that. Uh, it took us two months and we create this space thanks to the raw base because we have a lot of resources there and uh, the, we call it reading room. So it is, a, it is a space that we develop with two different maps of Senegal. So it's running actually in Dakar. And uh, so those maps are depicting where are the activists in Dakar and which kind of activism there is. Uh, in Senegal. So uh, ecological activism, environmental activism, it could be political activism, social activism, cultural activism. And we uh, identify the one we are working with, but also the one we have been told they are doing an amazing job in this area and this area. And we point out all these different kind of these different figures. Of course, we find out that in Dakar, there are much more known activism but I we we in the region we have some but we don't know all of them so it is a participatory work and exhibition uh, not an exhibit project and we want uh, people to come and those activists to come we are sharing with them so that they can also uh, share with us in which specific domains they are working what are the tools they have developed so that we can share it also with the community and being able to um, gives the right information regarding uh, how to be a citizen in 2021 in Dakar, a good, um, a good citizen, you know, knowing your rights and knowing how to be active, uh, how to, in which field you can, because you don't have to be a political activist. Perhaps you are more connected with uh, the ecological situation in Senegal, what is the pollution of the sea, etc., etc. So we want people to have a wide range of resources regarding that. So we complete also the resources we have at the library and we take from the library also all the ar archives we have regarding the different way uh, in Senegal before and during the independence and after uh, the different political movement that were held in the country, how they managed to face the government or how did they find a way to create dialogue or when was that they have a rupture with them. And uh, we have a lot of resources thanks to the different program and relationship we have. The network of Ro, of course, and we have resources like um, the archive of the Senegalese Cultural Front or publication like Tahao, which was a publication of Cher Antajop, a very famous uh, scientist and researcher in Senegal and philosopher. We, and uh, the university was named after him. And uh, so we have different kind of resources like that, that we w people share with us, but they are not publicly shared. So we put it in a uh, computer so that people can come and see and develop their research around them. But what was very important for us, it was that people have the, all the right information, like what happened before, because usually when there is a riot in Dakar, it's just like it starts from craft, you know, nothing happened for that. And uh, so we want people to know that there was things that happened before and they can use this different kind of moment of our history to engage with this new fight and the election is out in 2023 and uh, we have a lot of time between March of this year and 2023 so we can 
nurture ourselves with all those information and finding a way to take a position or to fight against the injustice or the way the government is acting so that we can legally took them out. And um, this is also how we are working or how the resources and the relationship we developed with people helped us doing our work because all those material or archives we have at Row have been given to us. The fact that we, we thought about having this study program is also because uh, we very much disagreed with uh, the hierarchy that exists into the academic system. Uh, and when we think about artistic education, for instance, uh, in Senegal and most of uh, Africa, we see that uh, the art schools that are there, uh, they exist most of them since the, the 60s, uh, which is the independence time, and like they've been ongoing up until today. And there hasn't been a real reform of the school, the, those schools as uh, formats, but not even real reforms about the content that is taught in there. They, we've noticed also a lot of distance between uh, the format that was proposed by that sc those schools and the the urgencies of uh, of the people who are going in the school the urgencies uh, in terms of uh, format but in terms of uh, context realities etc so for us that refrained a lot uh, the emergence of uh, new ways of learning so I'm not I don't even want to use new ways of teaching because uh, that very idea of teaching for us is wrong. Uh, and it's important that uh, in the way in which we're working, the school or, or, or the academic sphere is not the main sphere for learning. And uh, in the case of the raw academy, so we call it raw academy as a way of uh, also perverting the idea of the academy, so raw as in English raw, uh, academy, so like the academy that's not the academy, you know. The format that we used is a format uh, that is again conversational based, uh, that doesn't give you this burden of production. Uh, so the, the study program is not production based uh, and like it it doesn't uh, ask you at the end to produce whatever it is that needs to be produced as a way of proving that you've been learning something. And also, it's a space in which the learning is mutual. Uh, we learn a lot from the academy. The one who are participants, whom we call fellows, I think we have to think about even the terminology, uh, they are learning a lot, but they are also giving us a lot no? like so it's a it's an exchange uh the one who we always invite to be the kind of uh, director of the session also brings a lot in terms of uh, what he or she or the initiative think is important to learn together so that format for us is very important and also we call it a non-school uh, as a way of opposing ourselves to the idea of the school and also as a way of uh, really following 
different examples that we had, uh, be it in Senegal and on the continent, that were learning initiatives that never used the word learning. So we have like a, a strong history of uh, art education uh, when we look at like uh, the non uh, the non formal spaces. One of them being, for instance, a collective of artists that uh, existed in Senegal called Laboratoire Agitat that uh, has an amazing history and uh, that has been a, a, a space in which so much learning happened in communities from the artists themselves, from the artists and the people who are outside themselves, from the artists and the, the formal institutions, from the artists and the public institution, etc., etc. And that work that has been done for so many years, from the early 70s until like 2017, uh, has never been acknowledged as a knowledge that is important and that is important to archive. So, for instance, for us, when we started RAW, uh, the, the main figure of the laboratory was uh, Issa Sam, and he was very, very close to Koyo, who's the founder of RAW, and uh, there's been a lot of exchange and conversation and mentoring between Issa Sam and Koyo. And uh, what was very clear for Koyo when she started RAW was that, okay, she has to start with this. She has to start by archiving all this work that happened with the Laboratoire Agita in Senegal and uh, to archive it in a way that it can constitute uh, strong material for whoever would like to know more about uh, artistic practice uh, in, in Senegal and avant-garde artistic practice most specifically. So we did the first monograph of that artist, Issa Sam, in 2013, I think, or 2014. And that monograph is in circulation uh, now all over the continent. I mean, we always see people who come, okay, we want to buy the monograph and we don't even have copies left, you know? So that shows how much important it was to, to do that work. You know, in the, in the space of the academy, we don't... Hmm. I think we have more questions than answers, uh, which makes it even more interesting because... Uh, we realize that uh, each person who is part of that collective body of the academy will end up finding answers later. You know, like it's not, it doesn't happen in the space of the academy. What happens in the space of the academy is that you learn to, 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 to ask the right questions and you learn to, to really point out what actually is very important and very urgent. And then from the academy space, you will continue your journey. Uh, and I think it's in the journey that you realize that, oh, okay, maybe this is the answer of that question I had, uh, et cetera. And it happens to us. I mean, mm -hmm. we've been, we, we, we organized now seven sessions of the academy, organized and, 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 and uh, did, but we organized nine of them. Uh, two of them are not done yet, but you know, in the course of, the, the doing the first session to the session number nine. I mean, we, we end up in session number seven and we're like, oh, actually, this was the conversation in session number one. Oh, this is it. And then, you know, that like that nourishes us as well, you know, so much that uh, it's important that we always remind the fact that, uh, you know, it's, a, it's not a space where we, you will find like the solution, no? but it's a space where you will be able to 
to, to, to have the tools that you need in order to investigate more. Even for us, working at Ro, Ro is conceived as a space of, I don't know if it's the right term in English, but Koyo used to say that it's a space of mental depollution. Mental depollution, so that while you are working there, you can have learned all the things and having all the academic uh, background, etc. You can use the tools you have, but you are starting from craft really. And uh, as an experience, uh, when I enter, I, 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 I've been, uh, I joined the team. This is how I feel things. And I'm relearning a whole curriculum. It doesn't mean that what you have learned is not interesting or you didn't use it. It's just that you, you can see things differently and engage with them in another way. And all this hierarchy or hegemony you found in the academical process or in the academic model is just completely different at row and you learn a lot from different kind of people and uh, you find a way to engage with them and it's just like a renewal and it is very interesting because even if row is a space uh, we work there But we are learning in the time of the academy. We are learning during the public program. We are learning with the artists coming. We are learning with the young boy coming just to use the, the library. And most of those people make us change the way we are doing things and adjusting what we are doing because of the way they are seeing what we are doing and the way they engage with it. And uh, even for how we run row base or how we run the different kind of program. Sometimes it's coming from the, how do you say, teenager coming just to sit and read two different books and he just have, we have this discussion and then you say, oh, okay, we should do it like that. And we try and it works. And then it's always like that. And I think this is the, the force of, This in the institution not be fitting in boxes and being absolutely doing things like this or like that. No, we are very, very open and we adjust, we adapt. We have a line, we know what we, we have an, an editorial line, we know what is the goal of raw, how we want to work, etc. But we know how to step back and then readjust and go in another place or area. I like the fact that uh, Fatima is mentioning uh, relearning and uh, I take it as an uh, opportunity to also talk about unlearning because that's what it is as well. Like in many cases we see that we are trying to, you know, import uh, whatever, you know, global understanding we have of art, artistic practice and etc. etc. And we don't necessarily think about the actually relevance of that in for us in our context and etc so it's important that we are able to unlearn uh, all those uh, set uh, ways of uh, doing things set ways of thinking set ways of collaborating etc etc and that uh, yes we go more in uh, experimentation but you know experimentation with a clear understanding and mindset when it comes to what is relevant for, for us and for our context.
we assume that the different kind of knowledges or different kind of uh, practice or way to do things have their own value. And there is no hierarchy between them and among them. And we have all these resources together and we run them regarding the thematic we are engaging with, regarding the projects we are working in, etc., etc. But we all bring them together. It's just the line who make us choose this one rather than this one, the line of the project, but not because this knowledge is more valuable than the other or because this voices is not the same than the other. But still, we have a critical position or critical thinking on different topics happening in our society. So we point out and we create the debate through the program, but also through the exhibitions. And you can see during this very process what is raw position or how we see things or where we want to bring the discussion. I think that, uh, for instance, what we what we tend to say is that row is a space where we come, we meet, we we are in conversation, but we disagree. It's 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 important that there is a space of disagreement, a space where disagree disagreement is allowed, because like we don't necessarily need to be all on the same page when it comes to one specific subject, but it's important that we know on which page you are, you know? And uh, and by doing this conversation, we, we, we tend to see that and we accept the fact that we can disagree. But, you know, uh, we disagree, but in a constructive way because uh, the, the goal is to really exchange and to, to, to have conversation and to, to, to maybe find uh, light into those conversations. So if in the conversation there is disagreement, it's welcome. It, it, it's okay. And it's not only about this contradiction, actually, even failure. Like we have, a, we have quite a, 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 an approach on failure, on, on the fact that for many, failure is considered as bad, while for us, we take failure as uh, an experience, huh? as a way of, of, of being able to, to learn from those mistakes and being able to, to move forward. In 2014, uh, we engaged into a one-year-long program that was called Personal Liberties. And it was a program in, in which we wanted to address uh, the idea of uh, freedom. Freedom in uh, relationship, freedom in uh, the use of the body, freedom in like uh, many aspects and uh, specifically freedom in sexuality. And for us, it was important to, to, to work on that because we saw that in the society we lived into, there was uh, a lot of limitations in the understanding of uh, the body, in the understanding of uh, the body in relationship with another one, etc., etc. And uh, what we wanted to do uh, to start with was to really think about homophobic uh, reactions that tend to happen in, uh, in our society and to think about the system 
that allows for those homophobic uh, reactions to happen and that actually uh, yeah also gives strength to those homophobic um, uh, reaction or people or groups etc so we first targeted uh, the media and the way in which the media was uh, treating the information when it comes to homosexuality in Senegal, but on the continent uh, at large. And uh, we did a first exhibition that was called Who Said It Was Simple? And it was curated by uh, Eva Barrois de Cavell, uh, who's an independent curator uh, based in France and, and who was in residency at Raw at the time and then joined the team later. And uh, what we did together with Eva was to first of all, look at different newspapers uh, that uh, used in their headlines topics that were related to homo homosexuality or homophobic reaction from 2003 to 2013, so 10 years. And then we created a chronology of uh, the discourse from uh, 2003 to 2013. And you could already see in the exhibition that the discourse was going more and more violent from one year to another, from one newspaper to another. And we really wanted to call for like an open conversation around the fact that even though maybe for the newspapers it's important to address this, this is also about people's life. Mm? It's also about human beings and how do you navigate between that, between the fact that you would like to address this issue, but you are also talking about a human being who uh, you are actually putting in the center of a crazy homophobic discourse that can arm him or her <clears throat> in the future. So we organized a couple of workshops in which we invited a lot of journalists and also we invited lawyers, we invited doctors, we invited uh, people who, who are in the church sphere, also in the, in the um, Muslim community, as well, and all of that in order to be able to understand uh, what is the, I mean, we knew already what's the origin, but we, we really wanted to hear from them about this. And we did the workshops, etc., and it all actually went well. The conversations happened. Of course, there were a lot of disagreement, but the conversation happened in a very uh, calm way and like for three days, and then they, like, everybody went back to its activities, let's say. And uh, for us, it was important also to look at uh, the theoretical part of all of this. So to look at all the research and writing uh, that's been done on, uh, on homophobic uh, situations in different parts of the African continent. Because this was also for us research, huh? like that's how we started. When we were starting the whole year program, we already knew that we wanted to do it in four different acts. So the first exhibition being the one I just talked about. The second exhibition looking at queer representation in Africa. And the third uh, act being uh, a, a residency by a South African uh, artist and curator, Gabi Gobo, who proposed to work on the idea of causality dilemmas. Uh, and then the fourth act being a publication around all this whole uh, year-long program. And then the second step was, uh, so as I said, about body uh, queer representation, and that was an exhibition 
And most of it was uh, photography, uh, but we had also installation, we also had the videos, etc. And this happened during the biennial. It was our off program for the biennial of 2014. So we did that. We worked with Ato Malinda, who curated that uh, second act. And again, we organized workshops and uh, spaces of exchange. And for this one specifically, we organized it with the, the queer community in Senegal, with whom we've been working way prior to all of this and throughout the whole year. So when we opened the exhibition, uh, like it was, it was during the biennial, so we had so many visitors. I think that maybe we had a thousand visitors when we when we count the the three days of like the you know uh, busy days of the biennial. And uh, so that passed, and then at some point, one night we were called because we had the residence. We had one of the artists was in residency there, and also the curator Atomalinda, who's from Kenya. She was also in residence at Rose, so they were both there. And then they called us saying, oh, some people are like throwing rock to the door, etc., etc. Uh, so they explained us the whole situation. And this was like at maybe two in the morning. And we're like, what? They said, okay. But, but the, the building was very much secured. Uh, the walls were very high, so no one couldn't really jump uh, to get into the building. And also, even if you tr if you manage to jump and get in, like there was a kind of a courtyard, and you can't you couldn't really, and you know, like for design purposes, uh, all of our buildings that we had, like the like concrete. in Senegal, everything is concrete. That's one. But also, you know, we had we have like this tall mm. uh, metallic doors, blah, 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 but that's for design purposes yes, that we have it. But it uh, it's actually <laughs> security as well. So we told them, listen. Just stay inside. Uh, actually, they can't get in. Uh, we're going to call the police and we're coming. By the time we, we, we arrived, they left. We went to the police and the police came. During that night, they came to see. But I mean, since they left, there was nothing to be done. You know, like they took the deposition, blah, blah, blah. And then they left. And then we started investigating on that. And, you know, of course, at the police, on a déposé une plainte. I don't know what's the English for that. Like a complaint. Uh, and then we went to see the Minister of Culture, and et cetera, et cetera. But you, guess what? The police never replied to our complaint. So which, like, because they, they, since they knew that it was about homosexuality, they didn't want to. To help, to, I mean, it's not even a help because it's their job, you know, they, they, they just didn't respond. Uh, and also, after that, like, what happened happened, the police came, etc. But, I mean, we didn't feel the need to close the space. We were like, okay, so we were open. But then uh, you have, like, all these uh, groups of, uh, you know, religious leaders, etc., etc., who are, like, very, very, very much uh, homophobic for sure. But uh, also, you know, they follow the religion in a certain way. So, like, they, are, they, they declared themselves uh, radicals and they declare extremists, actually. Yes, yes that's yes, the, word. the word. And they declared themselves, you know, like the watchers or, you know, something like that. And they went on radio and on TV and they were talking about this, talking about the exhibition, saying, okay, this is a, an art center that is getting money from Europe or whatever to come and promote homosexuality. You know, like the whole discourse was like kind of, you know, reshaped in a so bad way 
the show like okay wait a minute what is happening and then you would see the tv they come to film they came to film and and, and uh, some one guy wrote an article uh, in which he took images of an exhibition on queerness that happened in Nigeria to illustrate his article can you imagine and and, and And the, the newspaper was circulating. So people, like, they actually think that this is what we are exhibiting in the space. So it, it kind of went crazy. And we got also a lot of advices from uh, different people who understood what it is that we were doing. But they told us, listen, don't do it because they're not ready. They don't know what you're talking about. They are not ready. It's not as if it's going to change something here. Just let it go. So we decided uh, then, since the police also was not really doing the job, we decided to close the space uh, and also to, to take a distance a bit and to see how to react to all this and how to continue, etc. And all the support that we really got was support also from outside Sorry, of Senegal, yes. from elsewhere, which also, again, came as some type of validation of the fact that these Maybe this context is not ready for that. So what we what we learned uh, from it is that uh, as much as you are embedded in a context, uh, there will always be limitations, and those limitations you need to be able to negotiate uh, with them. And even if it needs you to okay, kind of temper this a little bit until maybe later and find other formats, mm -hmm. it has to be done. Like you have to do it that way. So uh, we then thought that uh, it was important for us to keep the relationship that we built with the queer community and we keep it. We are always in contact with them. We are always in conversation with them. We help many of them who are doing specific programs, etc., etc. But we realized that uh, our contact is not ready to face this. And it's a pity because uh, so many people have lost their, their lives because of that. Uh, so many people have lost their life like, in, like dying, but also just lost everything in terms of the place that you have in a society. They need to hide. Uh, they can't be open, you know, like there are so many things that happen, but also they also have their pockets of resistance. They are very well organized. They have associations in each region. Uh, they do, they meet regularly. They also manage to create social life for themselves. And all of that, we got to know it when we started working on this and we start when we started uh, being in conversation with them. So, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing that we learn is that uh, the format, I think, is very important. And sometimes, like, there, there is work that you do. You do it under, underground, you know, mm -hmm. like it doesn't need to be uh, a show, uh, but it can still be very relevant and it can still happen. But in other spaces uh, that are more intimate, private spaces, and we are doing that. So that didn't stop us from working on this, but it stopped us from working on this publicly in, in Senegal. Still being done even, like uh, it's like, it's not done like in the art center that can make exhibitions, etc. but it's still being done in conversation we have with them, in different exchanges we have uh, with them, in different collaboration also we have with other institutions mm -hmm. who are not necessarily in Senegal or in, in Africa. And also we 
we we make sure that we are still here for the community if they need it if they need us we are here and they know you know they come to the space they come to road they come uh, when we have events sometimes they would just come for lunch and we sit mm-hmm. when we, we we talk we chit chat etc they tell us about what other project they're working on now they invite us to their workshops uh they invite us when they have because uh, uh, sometimes they also have um, conferences etc because the thing is most of the association that exists they don't have the right to exist exist as an association of uh, homosexual or etc but they exist as health counselors for for HIV transmission so through that work they manage to still be in community and gather and create safe conditions for themselves etc mm-hmm. and uh, they can go public but under the umbrella the health umbrella to do you know counseling advising etc and what happened also is that uh, so after we've been attacked we had to rethink the the la suite huh? like what would come next uh so for, for instance the curator artist who was invited for this residency she came she did the residency but there wasn't a, a public moment to share what she's been doing during the residency but we organized all the meetings with the community and everything she wanted to work on she did and instead of having a public moment that was also sort of about as an exhibition she made a she made a short film uh which uh we showed in different places not in Senegal though uh because it was still uh, quite sensitive and uh, the last act which is the publication we are still thinking about how we're going to make it uh it's been a long time though yes but we want it to be a, a critical publication on hom- the homophobic situation in general our experience will be in it but just like a more general tool that will help for uh, different context etc it came a lot into what we both shared fatima and i uh, the fact that uh, yeah for sure it's important uh, to to work in solidarity with each other and and when i say that it's not even just like on the continent you know like translocally talking uh it's important that uh, we we have solidarity uh trust yes care yes and also you know allyship uh it's important that we work as allies and and the more you do that the more you realize that uh, together you you really move forward you do things huh uh and you do things that have meaning uh for for those uh, who are encountering it or like having the experience of being with you working with you and you also benefit a lot from it by 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 doing it because it's like it's all a matter of like having the initiative but really everything that we have the initiative of is not totally done by us you know mm-hmm. like we we have the initiative it's the proposal but really at the end of the day you see that uh, we contributed to it but whoever we invite contributed a lot to it as well and whoever who witnesses those um, encounters also contributes a lot to it in the conceptual uh, uh, framework of uh, the Dakar Art Summit symposium we did which was looking at the notion of 
collectivity uh, and translocal, we said parallelism, because we wanted to really create a way of looking at the parallels. And uh, we, we proposed to work on this looking at uh, artist collectives in different geographies, be it on the African continent and also in, in Asia. And in the conceptual uh, uh, framework, we were talking about this notion of collectivity, uh, taking a metaphor of the allelo mimesis, uh, which mimesis, which is that uh, you have birds that uh, flock together, and uh, the fact they come from different places, but they create this collective body at some point that is uh, kind of moving together, and that is really a kind of symbol to the need of collectivity, of collaboration, of really working together and moving forward together. And they disassemble, uh, which is also important because when you think about uh, artist collective, for instance, we tend to see the collective as one, which is good, like it's a whole body, but we should also be aware of the fact that the collective is made of individualities. Mm -hmm. So the collective shouldn't eat the individuals, mm -hmm. no. So it happens, like it exists as a collective body, but it also should allow for the individual to also exist separately. So the choice of being together and also disassembling uh, should be possible. Uh, because we spend so much time, you know, trying to mm -hmm. act the system, talk about the system, etc., etc., and like we, we lose a lot of energy while on this side we know that we are doing things that are relevant for us and that are from which we we really see the the value. You know, we see the way in which it uh, kind of affects uh, in a good way uh, our context, the people we work with, etc. Maybe there should be now a time where we just reorient our energy, you know, and we create with our own guts, you know, with our own uh, initiatives and like we we move forward huh? instead of like always still thinking about, because the system like in reality, I mean, it can change, but it, it will never change as we want it to change, you know, or, I mean, or never, I don't know, but it will take time. So since it will take a lot of time, what do we do now? Now, what, what do we do with the time we have now, like in the now? And also, you know, I think the pandemic also has shown how much uh, we need human energy, mm -hmm. you know? Like, you know, the fact of being lo locked down and, you know, staying at home for I don't know how many months, not being able to go out, etc., etc. It was, uh, oh my God, such an atrocity, you know, like for many, like... So many people uh, discovered a whole other self, like in that whole process, and uh, most important, discovered that uh, it's important for, for them to be in community, mm -hmm. to be with people. And I have a lot of friends who used to, for instance, live alone, etc., and then they decided to go back to their families. Or you have others who, like, uh, they were locked down in foreign country, and then they, they realized that it was important for them to be at home. You know, like, so many learning, uh, so much learning happened uh, during the whole process, mm -hmm. uh, and, and especially the sense of community for, mm -hmm. for, for many, the importance of being in community. During the pandemic, we have seen that as well, because in our geography, you have to survive and you are you can't plan or even if you tend to, it's very difficult to plan for like 10 years and 20 years, etc. So 
the whole structure and system collapse in Europe or in uh, in America, but in Latin America, for instance, or in Africa, or perhaps in South Asia, it was a way different because you have to struggle and every day it's changing and every day you faced it. And uh, we were we were looking at the news and reading the different things, uh, the different article regarding uh, cultural institution uh, around the world, closing and firing people. And we were just like, oh, my God. And uh, it, it, it makes us also realize that perhaps what we are doing is not perfect, but and perhaps we are not able to do everything or to 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 sometimes you, you think that you have to re- to to take to be yeah, to reach a certain level. To reach a certain level. And uh, finally, what we are doing at our scale is what we are able to do. And it's, it is, uh, there is a sustainability in it. And uh, the, the pandemic raised a lot of things like that. And uh, yes, you know, you, you, when you see it from, from we stand, you just see all those big institutions and thinking that nothing can happen. Nothing can, you see? just destabilized this and the pandemic was such a shock for what was happening in the art scene and in the art community from our perspective and in our context we just do what we used to do we don't we change things but we just struggle and fight for every month and every one year and every two years and i think that uh, these specific moments teach us a lot about the economy of our system and the structure of uh, cultural uh, infrastructure and make a kind of um, question the shame, the very shame of uh, schema, the very schema of what is it to be a cultural institution or, or cultural infrastructure and how this infrastructure could be or might be reorganize or readapt, you know, mm-hmm. without making more precarious their workers or the family of the, the, the structure itself. Uh, it seems like uh, the learning hasn't been, uh, I mean, or, or is not yet because I, I, I want to keep hopeful. <laughs> it's not yet implemented in uh, many ways of doing, but not all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know a lot of uh, people or institutions who really are like uh, changing their way of operating and their way of doing things. Uh, but maybe we need it at a bigger scale. Uh, and uh, I think that will also take some time because what we also realize is that uh, even though the small-scale institution can struggle to do things and like they kind of found a way of still being able to do things, uh, when you look uh, at a certain level, you see that they are very much affected as well. Mm-hmm. Because I talked earlier about uh, the funding structure, for instance, that we have, uh, which means that uh, for us, a small-scale institution who is not that is not financially sustainable, this is a very critical moment because you don't know if in a year or if in more than a year you will still be around, uh, especially because you know that those who have been supported you, supporting you 
are strongly mm-hmm. affected. Uh, so maybe they won't be able to support you anymore, anymore. and then that's a, that's a crazy change, no? Uh, so, like, there is still this thing where you say, okay, I have to change things, I have to think about uh, better ways of doing what we do. But also on the other side, you're like, but I have to keep the institution alive. <laughs> so you are, you, are, you are like in a kind of constant... Uh, uh, nightmare where you have to think about all of this uh, mm-hmm. and think about where to find uh, some solutions at least not maybe if it's not all of them yeah it's quite a critical moment huh? for 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 the art world in general mm-hmm. for art institutions in in general most of them but for small institutions even more uh, we have colleagues who've lost the the institutions like this like one of them a very dear colleague of ours, Kader Acha, uh, who was the, who still is the founder of La Colonie in, in Paris, Paris, in France, uh, they had to close. They had to close because uh, they couldn't sustain it anymore. Uh, the pandemic happened. Uh, there are a lot of things they couldn't do anymore. They didn't have the, the funding to continue. They had to close. And you have many, many, many other institutions also who suffered from that. Uh, and you have uh, other institu- institutions where they didn't close, but they had to, as she was Stop. saying, fire so many people uh, just in order to reduce the charges and uh, and also find a more strategic way that will allow them to continue. And we are also uh, facing that a lot and thinking about that and mm-hmm. thinking about, okay, what, uh, what will be the situation in two years, for instance, because like, we are also in this uh, same uh, uh, urgency, same emergency of, of you know, finding a sustainable way of continuing uh, what we do. And, and also, you know, like, uh, there's something that we tend to forget when we think about like, uh, all the uh, consequences of the pandemic is also the exhaustion that came with it. No? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, people are exhausted from all this experience. Uh, So even though they are healthy, they are not mentally healthy Mm -hmm. for many. Like you have like, and and also you rethink who you are even, no? And and, and who you, how you want to continue as a human being, just like that. Like we're not talking about the artist, we're not Mm -hmm. talking about the whoever, just the human being coming from this experience and it's still ongoing. Uh, we are exhausted, exhausted, many are exhausted and, and, and actually even many found de- themselves depressive and, you know, uh, having to face so many challenges, etc., etc. And, and, and uh, also finding difficult to get out of that and, and continue. So even that, you know, like that, that is uh, something you think about. Uh, how do you make sure that the space in which you are, you and your colleagues, stays a safe space in order to allow for mental health as well, you know? Uh, that exhaustion that, that kind of uh, arose for everybody, how do you find a, a space, a space mm. in which, or how do you create a space in which it can be healed, no? People are facing how to re-engage with, with your practice. Just that well, yeah. how yeah, yeah. how and depending of which kind of practice you have even if it's not connected to the art world just how you go again you know and do you have to mm-hmm. as well 
you have so many many questions that this uh, pandemic raised and it's i hope it will change it will things time. and it's mentalities hard, yeah. and it won't be easy but i think that we can learn a lot from what happened this yeah. two years and it's not finished uh, of course but Yes, and we, 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 we have seen emerging so many beautiful things also during this pandemic in terms of solidarity, in terms of uh, how to take care of people, how to be able to take into account your neighbors and the people you have around you and how, with the concern you have on how can I be safe at home knowing that This one and this one, I see them through the window and they are not, you know, finding solution. It won't be easy, it won't be fast, of course, it mm. would took time, but uh, we have hope. Mm -hmm. We need hope.